0: The Rockpile
2: Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear.
0: Bills make me wanna. Well, you have to consider everything. You have to consider the resignability, the draft value. A lot of things went into this. It wasn't one single thing. I'm not actively shopping guys, selling guys, anything like that. That's the honest to god truth. Um, it's just you're always
2: looking in this business to help yourself now and tomorrow, and that's that's the facts. Everybody's forgetting we signed Anquan last week. This is not a
0: throw in the towel thing at all. You know, somebody mentioned that. Somebody said that out there, and that. Quite honestly, that's annoying to me because that's, that's not, you don't know me if you think I'm throwing in the towel.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right is my producer Chris Kruger, and that was Brandon Bean from BuffaloBills.com from a, what was that, Monday or Tuesday press conference? Friday. Since we last recorded, a lot has gone on. Maybe the biggest moves by any GM ever in Bill's history. Much less a rookie GM who has had no time to build up a relationship or credibility with his own fan base. <laughs> Jesus. Chris, you got a beer? I have my beer. Cheers. Guys, what a week. What a weekend to be a Bills fan. I, there's no beating around the bush, but let's just jump right in, as we always do, with this week's Bills News Update. <laughs> Stunning. Fantastic.
2: I'll just state I was out shopping at Wegmans and I left my phone at home. And I
1: came back. You and me both. I mean, you can use any, over a thousand different adjectives. Horrific. Paradigm shifting. There's a million adjectives out there that you could use to describe the events that took place on Friday afternoon. I was at the office and I was away from my desk for an extended period of time. Came back right around lunchtime. Decided I was going to open Twitter to send a message. As I'm doing so, I look over and I just realized that my phone has 76 different notifications on it. That should have been my first sign that something had gone awry. And then I opened Twitter. And it took me about 30 seconds to realize that this week's show was going to be both long and hopefully pretty interesting. (laughs) Now, when I first heard that the Bills had traded away both Sammy Watkins and Ron Darby in different trades on the same afternoon within about, I mean, all of it happened so quickly, within probably about a half hour. And everyone collectively lost their minds. I mean, this is what, (laughs) I sounded an awful lot like this in my office Friday afternoon.
2: That's right. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've
1: got too far! There's too much to lose! Got to keep our composure! Everyone who wanted to discuss the news was some degree of manic. And I'll admit that I at one point had to sit down and put my face in my hands for a, for just a minute and have a good, long, deep laugh. Just laugh. I mean, for a franchise that seems to never stop finding ways to surprise us, I should have known that this season was holding something new. Some, some, some fresh hell that I've never seen before. And this was it? Surprise, bombardment, Pearl Harbor-style trade on a Friday afternoon in the middle of training camp. I mean, I mean Chris, what was your reaction?
2: Well, I mean, like I said earlier, I was at Wegmans. I left my phone at home. I remember getting, uh, I was in the pop aisle, and the Pepsi guys stocking the shelves... Was just on his phone, and I he was talking bills because I I hear him talk about Sammy and um, and Trey White, and I didn't make <laughs> I made no connection like oh, we just made some trades, and I get home and then Twitter exploded, your phone exploded. I, I couldn't believe it. it's, I mean, not, it's sh- not shocking that we got rid of Sammy. I mean, we didn't ex- exercise his fifth year.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean the the it's a big move especially for a GM who just got here. It's a, it's a huge move. I don't care what, what you want to categorize it as. When you trade away your first-round pick from one season and then your second-round pick from the subsequent season, who are both pegged to play significant roles for your team in the middle of training camp, that's huge. I mean, in talking to other podcasters, you know, Lars, the host of the Bills and Beers podcast, he flat-out said that he was pulling out of an Alamo a car rental agency in the middle of Philadelphia and literally almost drove into oncoming traffic because he heard, he read the news on his phone and almost lost control of the vehicle. Another friend of mine, Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network, he was at the zoo with his family and said that as soon as he saw the update on his phone that both trades went through almost simultaneously, he immediately just... He said he, he, he was dumbfounded and looked around for someone else wearing something Bills-related just so he could go yell at them and have a conversation and that maybe they could hug each other and find a way to get through it. I mean, look, like I said, I, this is a franchise that never seems to stop surprising us, and I don't know why I thought that that would, that that would be done, but yet here I was, calling my pants down and just trying to figure out what it meant for the future of our football team. Now, I will say that today after a weekend of avoiding sports talk radio and just trying to reflect on everything that's going on and where everything's headed, I'm in a much different place in all this. And I'm hoping that some of you out there listening to this right now are at least considering joining me once you hear what I have to say. Let me preface all of this by saying the same thing I said during this year's draft and the draft that we took Sammy Watkins. I am personally of the opinion that when you trade to acquire any player regardless of whether it's a pick going to a different team for that player in return or a scenario where you obtain draft capital in exchange for a lower draft spot and then you or a higher draft spot and use that pick to obtain a player. The value of those players to your franchise and your team and the draft picks themselves need to be viewed as mutually exclusive. I mean, just for example, At the end of next season, when we're evaluating what Tredavious White is actually worth to this roster, he should be judged solely on what he does on the field, and not the fact that we got an extra first-round draft pick with him while drafting him. You know, if he has a subpar year, but we have an extra first-round draft pick, I'd like to hear that he's a subpar player. I don't want to hear from people that, well, he was mediocre, but we did get that extra first-round pick. It doesn't matter. They shouldn't be one and the same. They shouldn't be tied together. Those picks are a sunk cost the moment that they're spent. Okay, I state this because I feel like that's been the beef that most fans have had with Sammy Watkins from the get-go. This idea and this concept that we essentially spent two first-round draft picks on a player who, when compared to the rest of his draft class at the wide receiver position, was the least available – and he made what a lot of people would see as the smallest impact for the team that drafted him. I would prefer to judge his career here in Buffalo and what he ultimately brought back in trade by his on-field production and the overall value of the position. Now, personally, I never had a problem with Sammy Watkins. Okay? He, yes, he has an injury history. You know, his social media habits weren't the best. He had a habit of getting into Twitter fights with people.
2: Was well, his injury history was only NFL.
1: Yeah, only NFL. He was never really injury prone in college. But at no point during all of that was I ever upset with him or upset that he was a part of this team. Disappointed? You could say that. He's one of those hype he was one of those high potential, quote-unquote, players. You know, they, they'll tease you one week with flashes of the players that you expect them to be. But they never consistently find that ceiling, and just constantly leave both the fans, the staff, their teammates, and everybody who watches this game just wanting something a little bit more from them, and they never deliver on it. And I, I hate to say it like that, but Sammy Watkins didn't deliver on, you know, whether we took him in the with the fourth pick, whether we he had miraculously fallen to us where we drafted ninth that year, no matter where we drafted him, he just didn't pan out. This is a guy who just wasn't available for us when we needed him. And then you look at Darby. Darby to me is a casualty of the lack of coaching and front office continuity that's plagued this franchise for almost two decades. He's a talented player when utilized correctly, and that is the caveat that I bring along with him. In his very first season, when he was asked to play strictly man-to-man press coverage, he was being talked about as a potential defensive rookie of the year candidate. Year 2, when he was asked to to play some more zone schemes, <clears throat> you know Rex Ryan really wanted to try to mix up his defensive concepts because he thought that that was going to be the thing that would get his defense, you know, get this Bills defense back to where he thought it could go. And instead, Darby fell off a cliff. And I mean, there you heard Last year, we found audio of him speaking in a press conference where he flat-out admitted that that was not his strong suit. I'm pretty comfortable in my press, so this OTA is I wanted to like work on my off a lot more because, you know, we don't be off as much,
3: but that's something I want to be comfortable in as well.
1: So last year during OTAs, he was talking about the fact that he is not comfortable playing off coverage. So I can only imagine that moving to a scheme that's zone-based yeah, he probably, you know, Peter King from Sports Illustrated wrote an article on Monday about how Ron Darby was traded because he wasn't buying into the scheme. Well, you heard it from, by his own admission, he still needed, was a work in progress. And you saw it, the results in the field last year. Ron Darby was a work in progress when it came to his zone abilities. So when other a team who sees him and knows what he's capable of when put in the right scheme wants him, and they come knocking on your door, and you say, "Okay, here's an opportunity for me to g- gain a draft pick." I mean, and I'm getting a guy who isn't buying into the scheme that I'm trying to fit him in. I'm trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It's just not working. Let it's it's good for his career. It's good for our team's future. It's the best for everybody involved. I'm not as shocked about this trade as I am about the Watkins one. I also believe that there was additional scrutiny put on Darby because due to the Watkins trade, he was our very first pick of the draft for us that year. And therefore, his value, I I hate to say it, but I hear it from people that I talk to. In the minds of some people, whether they realize it or not, they tied his value into the fact that his play needed to be good enough to justify the fact that we didn't have a first-round pick that year. So they expected him to play so well that he would be our de facto first-round pick. But in reality, that's nonsense. You can't tie the player's production to draft value like that. You just can't. Either the player's good for you or they're not. The draft capital, once it's spent, shouldn't matter.
2: Even with like, or the trades, you know, NFL players got to be looked at like you're buying a car. You buy a car, and you sell it, you're not going to get the same value
1: before. Well, no. But and I'll say this though. If the Patriots have taught us anything, it's that even without elite, quote-unquote, players at every position, if you can find a player who fits your scheme, it will often raise his level of production on the field. And that's why trading Darby to the Eagles with a defensive coordinator who runs more, pro, a, a kind of a hybrid, four, you know, it's like a 4-3 under. So it's kind of a mix of 3-4 four, and 4-3. Four, I but remember he, Jim Schwartz. But he plays a lot of uh, press on the outside, and he likes that wide nine sometimes if he has the DNs to pull it off. I mean, he just didn't fit what we wanted to do, and he fits what they want. So the Eagles get a talented player who might come in to be their number 2 or number 3 cornerback, and in return, we get a third-round draft pick, along with a wide receiver whose ceiling, while maybe not as high as that of the wide receiver we just lost, statistically has proven that he can be productive at the NFL level. Now, Saturday afternoon, probably about 24 hours after News of the Trades broke, I find myself at a pool party. I'm hanging out with my buddies There's a pool, a hot tub Everyone's hanging out having a good time I walk in the door and I'm immediately inundated with sports talk My friends just bombarded me With their thoughts and opinions Ranging from the belief that the front office made the right choice To the fact that we are, as the Buffalo Bills The worst franchise in the NFL And that real fans would refuse to watch them play this season Since, obviously, they're tanking and then everyone wants to turn around and ask me where I stand. And then he said, "Find out this Wednesday <laughs> on the Rockpile Report." To be honest, I didn't have an answer for him because I hadn't really, I, I, hadn't gotten my head around it yet. Like I said, I avoided sports talk radio because I don't like my in, I don't like my opinion on big things like this being influenced by other people's opinions.
2: Yeah, you, know? you don't. I, I can, I can imagine you driving around Cheektowaga, listening to GR. And then somebody calls in, says something stupid, and then you just break off your turn signal and then stick it in your thigh, to <laughs> derive the pain
1: elsewhere. You have no idea how many times I've considered that. I mean, have you heard GR, the, no, the callers infuriate no, me. I don't listen. So all I can tell you is that after after days of just hanging out over the weekend and really trying to get my thoughts together, the question remained: Am I okay with this? Can I make peace with this trade? And even if I can, what does it mean for the future of my team? Well, I did what I do in most circumstances. I just start doing research in hopes that it tries to help me make sense of it all. And here's what I came up with. I'm going to read to you a list of notable wide receiver trades over the course of the last, we'll call it the last decade and a few years. I'm going to start in 2010 with Anquan Bolden. Productive receiver for the Cardinals. They went to a Super Bowl. And then he was traded from the Cardinals to the Ravens for a third and a fourth round pick. Then in 2011, Lee Evans was traded from the Bills to the Ravens for a fourth-round pick. In 2012, Brandon Marshall was traded from the Dolphins to the Bears for two third-round picks. 2013, Anquan Boldin gets traded again from the Ravens to the 49ers, sixth-round pick. 2007, Randy Moss from the Raiders to the Patriots for a fourth-round draft pick. Bills fans should remember what that looked like. We saw it an awful lot. Martellus Bennett in 2016, from the Bears to the Patriots for a fourth-round draft pick. And then, most recently, Jordan Matthews, from the Eagles to the Bills, along with a third-round pick for number 2 cornerback Ron Darby. Now, obviously, when you look at that list, there's some outliers. I mean, these are the notable wide receiver trades. There's some others out there, like Percy Harvin, another guy Bills fans should be familiar with, who were traded for a lot more than the players that I listed but those trades, when you step back and look at them, you know, they didn't really go well for the team receiving the player in trade. I mean, the Seahawks gave up a first-round pick, a third-round pick, a subsequent second-round pick or a third-round pick, I believe. And he yeah, he won a Super Bowl with them by returning a kick, but they didn't win because of Percy Harvin. He was rarely in the, in the lineup. And then he finished his career there just riddled with injuries. The reason I bring this up is because to me it shows that in recent history, even proven Pro Bowl talents at wide receiver, Randy Moss, Brandon Marshall, everyone knew Martellus Bennett was a fantastic tight end. He's big, he he dominates in the running game, he's a huge target, quarterbacks can't miss him, and he's aggressive. Even those type of Pro Bowl caliber players didn't get as much in trade as the second-round pick that we landed for Watkins. Now, if you think back to his injury history on top of that, and the fact that the, the new front office lacks a, a ta- any kind of attachment to him, and the fact that we received a player back in return in a subsequent trade that can kind of fill his role that Watkins had here. You know, I mean, I, and I guess that's I shouldn't say it like that because you can't really fill Sammy Watkins's role with a Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews is a slot receiver, but he's very good at what he does. I guess what I'm trying to say is you've replaced production with production. Similar production, uh, a higher ceiling player. Sammy Watkins was to be sure, was
2: but pretty, you're getting production from a different area on the field.
1: Yeah, you're you're getting production. You're getting it in a different way, and you're getting a second round draft pick and a third round draft pick in return for it. And I mean, if you look at the fact that we also received E.J. Gaines, a cornerback who's going to add depth. You know, he was a starter for the Rams, which I guess isn't saying much considering that their team has been pretty bad for the last few years. But he's a guy who is used to playing zone concepts. He's an aggressive cornerback. You can add him to your group, and that's, you know, it helps bolster a position of kind of weakness where we didn't have a whole lot of, I don't know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, experience in our cornerback group right now. So now you're getting a second round pick in return. You're also getting this cornerback that you can add to your stable. And then you trade away Darby. The, add in the Darby trade, and I can say that, well, I I can't deny that there is an argument to be made that there is a dip in the talent you know, the talent level now at the cornerback and wide receiver position. I'm not going to argue that with people. But from a value standpoint, I think that we came out on top in this trade. I mean, Chris, do, do you see it any other way?
2: Six picks in the first three rounds. Tyrod's going to get cut. <laughs> I think if we suck enough this year, we'll be able to go after Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, or Josh Rosen, regardless if they if they come out.
1: I love, that's, the, la- I love that's, the lack of eloquence that my producer has yeah. here. Well,
2: that's I mean that's a story we'll get to in like four months, depending on where we finish and where the Chiefs finish.
1: I just like stockpiling picks. Well, what do picks do if you don't draft well with them, though?
2: Oh, well, I've been told, the, the, I've, it, I've it, told people we got to hit on.
1: Three of those six. Okay, well, speaking of picks, I mean, then when you fa- when you take a look at these trades and you try to wrap your head around them, you got to talk about the future of the franchise. When I look back over the last 20 years of Bill's history, you can see that there's been plenty of inconsistency and at times some flat out buffoonery in our front office. I mean, it feels like every single GM that we've hired during the drought inherited a coach that he didn't like, and he hired the other guy's guy eventually hired a new guy. But then that GM would get fired before that head coach really had a chance to flesh out his quote-unquote vision. But normally he was getting fired because the players he was supplying him with to rebuild were crap. <laughs> Go figure. Crap GM, bad head coaches. And then you just keep cycling through. You keep doing this thing where year after year after year, you've got a holdover coach and a new GM and then that, coach hires a GM, that GM hires a coach but then someone else steps in at GM because that GM was terrible and got fired. And now you, he's got a coach that he didn't hire. So he's going to let him either A, run his term out, or B, fire him at the end of the season. Every Bills fan should know Dick Duran is the only coach since
2: Marv Levy to get a fourth year. We get co- Coaches stay here every two to three years. Duran was the only one to get a fourth and he got fired during that season.
1: I mean, I'll be honest, I've thought about it and I don't understand how at this point after after really going back over the coaching and GM changes and all of the wasted draft picks that are no longer in the NFL, how over the last 20 years, Bills fans haven't just kind of banded together and filed for a class action class action lawsuit against the Bills for liver damage and the public intoxication arrests that they've caused over the last two decades. It's incredible. When you look at the winning franchises in football, the ones who are consistently competitive over the last decade, they all have one thing in common, and that's not a genius GM who, you know, who makes, a sh- makes shrewd and calculating hits, calculating moves, hits every draft pick. You know, and It's not an owner who's willing to throw bundles of cash at every single problem that the team has, you know, paying for a billion-dollar front office and making sure that they have the best talent money can buy. It's the teams that have found a bona fide franchise quarterback. I mean, the Green Bay Packers are often criticized for being cheap in free agency. I mean, even their head coach has taken shots at the GM over the fact that he doesn't spend money on their defense the way he thinks that they should. And they, their GM, I mean, it's in recent history, he's missed on just as many draft picks as he's hit on. But in the last 10 years, they have double-digit, excuse me, 8 double-digit win seasons. I mean, does anyone out there for a second believe that this isn't because they have arguably the second-best quarterback in the NFL right now? That Rodgers guy is pretty good. And then you've got the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, fuck those guys. (laughs) Chris, you're going to love this. Their franchise throughout its history holds a track record of 350 wins, 450 losses, and six ties. I do know that
2: I think it's until they got Vic – they had never had two
1: uh, 500 or better seasons in no, a row. No, no, they until had. they got fit. They, they have two Super Bowl losses okay. to their credit. But, as you just hit on, the only successful runs that their team had were around the times that they drafted Michael Vick and when they drafted Matt Ryan. For the majority of their existence in between, you can go to Wikipedia and look up list of Atlanta Falcons' seasons you're going to find out that not only did they have dismal records, they had attendance problems, and they literally had a coach in uh, Petrino who quit on them in the middle of a season. Yep, he wrote a letter.
2: Tape, <laughs> he, wrote a letter. he wrote a letter, taped it to everybody's lockers.
1: It's like they're just like me deciding that I want to go into my office tomorrow, and at about, I don't know, 1.15, when I decide the day isn't going the way I want it to, that's when I call that's when I go into my boss's office I'm like you know what I'm out I'm out <laughs> we'll, we'll dr-
2: I can't do it
1: You showed up here <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> why did you come in It's it's incredible to me I mean and you look at that though I've reached the point that I think I've got a more complete understanding of the trade and I hope that some of you out there are st- you're still following this and you can join me in landing here where I am Thinking back to Brandon Bean's comments about what he thinks a franchise quarterback looks like. Big, tall, strong, accurate pocket passer. Tyrod just doesn't seem to fit that mold. Seems to fit Josh Allen. And this front office seems to be of the mindset that if they're going to have any kind of sustained success like all of these other great franchises in recent history have done, it's going to take landing that franchise quarterback. And as the Redskins and Rams have proven, trading away a ton of assets to obtain one guy just to, you know, you shed all these draft picks, but then leave yourself unable to surround him with players and talent that's not going to help him win. That's not the way to go either.
2: let's just take a quick look at the Rams. They traded all those picks away to get Jared Goff, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and then they traded a second to get Sammy. You don't know if he's going to resign in L.A.,
1: yeah, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate gamble. As a GM, I'm, I'm wondering, if I'm a Rams fan, I'd be wondering what the hell my GM is doing. You just gave Here's our Okay, so you went out and got the franchise quarterback. Now, you've got cap room next year. You're obviously going to make a play for him. But what happens if Watkins doesn't want to re-sign with you? If Watkins decides, hey, you're going to rely on Bob Woods. Even if you offer me the highest contract in the, I, I mean, think about that. If the Rams go out and make Sammy Watkins the highest paid wide receiver in football next year, that means that between Tavon Austin, who is essentially Roscoe Parrish 2.0, Robert Woods, who is a very good run blocker but isn't really much of a pass-catching threat, I mean, he's not an explosive wide receiver, and Sammy Watkins, they will have the league's highest payroll at the wide receiver position, flat out across the league with a, a second year going to be a third year quarterback who may or, and a suspect offensive line and a defense that after the defensive line their linebackers are okay, their safeties are average, their cornerbacks are okay, and you're giving away second round picks in order to obtain this guy? What I don't understand what the game plan is and from the bill standpoint it looks like we won this. But I look at it from a standpoint of they see the need to get a quarterback they understand you have to have the quarterback to win in football. At the same time, you can't just give away the farm for a year or two with premium draft picks in order to obtain that guy because then you won't have what you need to give him what it takes to win.
2: That might be a, a decent uh, thing for an off-season show next year. because something I've always wondered. What's a better way to build a team? You get a quarterback and then the weapons, or get the weapons and then get the quarterback?
1: Well, I think if you look at the way, um, I don't know, Brady. Um, I think we could do a whole Roethlis- show. On Brady that. Roethlisberger. Um, I'm just trying to go through the quarterbacks who are always in the playoffs. Brady Roethlisberger. Well, look um, at,
2: like look at Jameis Winston. They got Mike Evans first, then they went and got Winston, and then this year they just drafted a Deshaun safety. Jackson. And yeah, they got Deshaun. They signed Deshaun, and then they drafted a safety blanket, OJ Howard.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see what that offense looks like this year, and we're going to get to see it up close and personal. But <sighs> okay, so what I'm going to level with is this. They've done what they viewed as necessary to leave themselves with multiple picks in every single round of the 2018 draft, except for the fourth and the fifth. That is hedging your bets at its best. If Tyrod proves he can be an accurate and reliable quarterback, then the team is flush with draft picks to arm this team to the teeth with talent. And in the event that Tyrod turns out not to be the guy, you can still perform the trade-up that you probably will need to do. Because this roster has too much talent on it to really bottom out. You can still perform the trade-up that you're going to need to do to get that quarterback and still pick in every single round. You're still going to have a second-round pick and a third-round pick and a fourth-round And if you give up some combination of those, then that's fine. But you'll have multiple picks not only in that draft, but also next year you're still going to have your premium draft picks on hand. I just... I know there's some of you right now that are nodding in agreement with me. And there's some of you out there who, after hearing all this, are still pissed off and you still have a doom and gloom outlook on everything that the Bills have to do or say from this point forward. To you guys, the only thing I can say to try to get you to my side of the fence is this. You've made it 17 years of torment without jumping off the bandwagon. And you're still here listening to some jerk with a beer in his hand bloviate about the team <laughs> a microphone on a Wednesday night.
2: Yep, while the person that produces it
1: has had his first kiss, married, divorced, all within this playoff drought. So, love it or hate it, guys, I'm going to ask you to join Chris and I, grab a beer and get comfortable, take this ride with us. If nothing else, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> that's, that's what I got for you. If nothing else, this is going to be more interesting than what we've seen for the last two decades.
2: Yeah, and even with the first... Ooh, it first, felt good to
1: get that off my chest.
2: Woo! And even with the first preseason game, you watch it, our boy, their first three offensive plays went right to Sammy. So it's like, oh, I wonder if they're showcasing him for someone
1: else. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Well, speaking of preseason, we're gonna we're gonna change gears here. You know, I've I've, I've done enough. Like I said, I'm gonna step down off my soapbox now. Everyone of their mothers has already done a recap of last Thursday's preseason game versus Minnesota, so I'm not gonna waste your time. I'm not gonna bother you. I mean, some of it was good, some of it was bad, and some was downright ugly. Instead of boring you with some inane recap, we're gonna handle this like we do our regular season games. I'm gonna hit you with my hero and zero of the week. First off, we're gonna start with the zero, and that award goes to the entire special teams unit. <laughs> Anytime your team takes 10 penalties in a game, it's a cause for concern. But when four of them are on your special teams unit, two of those are 15 yard personal fouls, including running down a punter who called for a fair catch. (laughs) And in total, you accounted for a minimum of 45 of your team's 109 penalty yards. You deserve to... Be looked at like a bunch of boobs. Hey, Reed had a tackle. Reed did have a tackle. I give Reed a lot of credit. Reed Ferguson, folks, Bill's long snapper, friend of the show. He he had a tackle. I would say out that that was probably the highlight for me out of the special teams performance. There was a lot of penalties, a lot of bad play, a lot of bad coverage. I mean, Danny Crossman loves to yell at people when he's not furious. So I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for <laughs> on the meeting room, yeah, you know, practice on Friday. Now they practice the day after that game, I'll tell you, I bet you that was ugly. Hopefully, they can get their act together in week two. And then, on a lighter note, our hero of the week, Eddie Yarbrough.
2: <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world!
1: Woo! Don't get me wrong, there were a lot of candidates for hero of the week. I mean, Nathan Peterman has already started his Jeff Tool like ascent up the depth chart. And, of course, here comes the annual grassroots campaign to start some unknown backup quarterback over Tyrod Taylor. I I mean, that just underscores how bad our quarterback position has been for the last 20 years. People are desperate for anything that looks like hope. Dude,
2: just wait until the final preseason game, (sighs) when he plays the entire game against Detroit and goes 25 of 30, 300 yards, and three touchdowns. I won't listen to WGR.
1: Against against Detroit scrubs. I won't listen to WGR for two weeks. And safety Trey Elston, to me, was a big surprise. I mean, the guy showed that I, I mean he's, a, he's an undrafted free agent out of Ole Miss, and he's, I don't know, he, the, the book on Trey Elston was that he was kind of a up-and-down player. His, mo, his motivation just didn't seem like it was there, and that's why he didn't get drafted. But he showed that he has some skill and coverage, and he can really play the ball in the air well with some timing. But in the end, Yarbrough was just too good to overlook.
2: He looked great against the Vikings 1s.
1: Oh, that's the thing. I mean, he started the game with the 1s, and going up against right tackle Mike Remmers from the Vikings, From almost the onset of the game, he was noticeable. You could see him getting penetration into the backfield. And then he went on to play the majority of the defensive snaps. I mean, he played well into the third and fourth quarter. and At the same time, he was consistently disruptive. Didn't matter whether it was a running play, a pass play, you saw him in the backfield, which is in a 4-3 scheme, what you want out of your defensive ends. Getting in the backfield, creating havoc.
4: Collapsing
2: the
1: pocket. Collapsing the pocket. It's going to be interesting to see if he can do that on a consistent basis. I mean, I, I the fan in me wants to run away and champion this guy as king of the world. But at the same time, the cynic in me and the long-standing, drought-watching Bills fan wants to temper my expectations I just say that it will be interesting to see what he does when he can rotate in and get some rest in-game with Shaq Lawson now that he's back in the lineup. So speaking of Yarbrough, I was lucky enough to get some FaceTime with him. I mean, this week marked the end of Bills training camp. And once again, I want to take a minute just to say thank you to the Buffalo Bills organization and to Grandstand Sports Network for affording me the opportunities to go behind the scenes at training camp this year.
2: Oh, If you guys want to go to buffalobills.com, and go to the video section and watch Eric Wood's interview, you get to see Drew in the background within the first minute.
1: <laughs> Walking around, where do I go? <laughs> Who do I talk to? Oh, fantastic. So I learned a lot about the world of professional journalism behind the scenes. What goes on back there? And I, 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 I'd like to think I was able to provide our listeners with some fantastic and exclusive content. Now, I was at St. John Fisher for the Bill's second-to-last la- practice on Monday. And I got lucky because it might have been the most exciting and newsworthy day of practice this entire summer. I was about 40 feet from Sean McDermott when he huddled all of his players together mid-practice and just undressed them verbally. I mean, he delivered the quote that I hope comes to define this team. We could hear it from the sidelines. If you want to be a winner, you've got to practice like one. You know, the, the day was sloppy. And that explosion came... I mean, you had wide receivers dropping balls, guys lining up where they shouldn't be. And that explosion was elicited because Shady McCoy lined up in the backfield. And then it was almost as if he and Tyrod didn't actually know where he was supposed to be. So Tyrod was trying to give him direction. Shady was trying to find where he was supposed to be. And then as he was running up to the offensive line, somebody jumped and caused a false start. And Sean McDermott blew his stack. And it was one of... When you look at a guy like Sean McDermott and you hear him speak, he's not, he, he seems like a soft, not a soft spoken guy, but he's not a, he's not a Rex Ryan. And he's not a, uh, what's the guy who coached the uh, 49ers there for a while? AI. George Seifert. No, the linebacker from the Bears.
2: Oh, Mike Singletary. He's
1: not a Singletary. He's not one of these guys who's going to rant rave and yell and scream. And this is what he had to say Tuesday during his press conference when asked about the situation.
3: You know, the biggest reason for it was I didn't think we were practicing well, plain and simple. And uh, we need to understand, all of us need to understand, that starts uh, with myself, that this is winning in this league um, is earned. And winning is an all-the-time thing. Uh, when you practice the right way, you prepare the right way, you give yourself a chance to win. And when you don't, uh, you're starting from a deficit position. And that's not, that's not what I'm about, that's not what this team's going to be about. And um, I appreciate the way the players responded. Uh, the intensity picked up, as you saw. We had a couple uh, live sessions in there. Uh, I thought you saw some physical football, and I appreciate that. And that's one of, that was one of the objectives of coming to camp, was to develop the, uh, the toughness of the football team. And I saw that yesterday on display at the end of the practice.
1: That audio comes to you, compliments at buffalobills.com. And he is not kidding when he talks about the physicality. I mean, you hear it in his way. See, listen to him talk. He's even keeled. He's a he comes off as just a very even keeled guy. But when he exploded, so did the team. I mean, I was about the same distance from, you know, that I was away from his explosion that I was from, you know, the scrum when skirmishes between you had Colt Anderson and Walter Powell. That's the one that started it. You know, guys pushing and shoving after the whistle and it turns into a fight and the whole team comes together. People guys are shoving each other. Well, then in the end zone, they ended they decided to end the practice since the intensity. I mean, pads were cracking, people were really starting to get intense. They ended practice with a set of goal line drills. I mean, the hitting was intense. There was a lot of pushing, just general nastiness going on that really underscored how much aggression. Both the end of camp, you know, you figure you have been at camp for how many weeks? Two, two, three weeks. You've been away from your family. You've been away from everyone you know. You're stuck with these guys. You're hitting the same guys every single day. It's—you don't—you reach a breaking point, and then McDermott's speech just kind of instilled this nastiness in him. And you saw it from that moment forward. They went out there and really laid the wood on people. It was incredible to get to see up close and in person. Now, for those of you who follow us on Twitter and caught the teaser I posted this afternoon. After practice on Monday, I caught up with Camp Surprise defensive end Eddie Yarbrough for an exclusive interview. This is what he had to say about what it was like spending time in the locker room and just getting to know and learn from guys like Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius.
5: I can't I can't glow about them enough, but they taught me truly like passing that second that second quarterback I hit got on Thursday was literally directly because of Marcel what he told telling me uh, doing what he told me to do so. Again, just listen to my vets and really just trying to be a sponge and absorb everything. You know, a lot of people try to when they get here they try to make, make it more than it's than what it is. So I just really just try to be a sponge, listen to what my coach says and listen to my vets.
2: It's good to see Yarbrough taking tips that you know Darius is picking up in the game and then passing it to a younger guy. Like, oh try this move on this mm-hmm. tackle and you know, get a chance to get get a quarterback hit, collapse the pocket. You know, disrupt what they're doing on offense.
1: Mm-hmm. I think he's a lock
2: to make this team.
1: Well, and I'll tell you, it's, it's. I mean, you talk to him, and if you get to know Eddie Yarbrough's story, he was a former, he was a standout at Wyoming who was supposed to be a top three draft pick into the NFL. Hurt his knee his senior year. Dropped his draft stock. He was an undrafted free agent. The Broncos picked him up, but he didn't fit their 3-4 scheme. We picked him up this year, and he has been just nothing short of a grinder. And my follow up question to him was in regards to what it was like making such a rise up the depth chart from undrafted free agent, you know, guy running with the threes, to be recognized as the first man up when Shaq Lawson was held out of practice, and his ability to get to practice against Jordan Mills and the rest of that, you know, Richie Incognito and the rest of the starting defensive
5: line. It makes you elevate your game, and that's what it's about. The competitive uh, nature of offense and defense really just elevates everybody's games. So you want everybody to kind of elevate, and as he's getting make, making me better, I'm making him better in some in ways, and that's how you get a playoff-caliber team.
1: And then, because I've got a man crush on the guy, I had no choice but to ask him about what learning under a defensive line coach like Mike Waffle had been like.
5: He has the credentials. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I say personally is that no, there's no coach – that can that can really live up to his credentials in regards to the guys he's coached and the results he's had. So that's, again, that's why I'm just trying my best to be the biggest sponge, the biggest the biggest, just kind of absorb everything because, you know, everything that comes out of his mouth, he doesn't want you to do anything but get better, and that's, the, and that's one of the things I really do appreciate about Coach Waffle, that he expects the best, and he won't accept anything but the best. So that's one, one thing that definitely elevates all our games.
1: I mean, that's refreshing to hear that this is a guy who now you've heard it from I don't know, I don't want to call middle-of-the-road veterans, but like a veteran player like Jarrell Worthy, who's spent about three, four years in the NFL so far. We've heard it from him so far this offseason during my interview with him. Kyle Williams, a veteran defensive lineman, who looks at Mike Waffle and says, hey, you know what, I like the way this coach does business because he demands the best from you every day. And if you can't do that, then you don't belong in this league. And now from a young kid, Who's never really had this kind of. Uh, I mean, I know at college it can be intense, but this is a guy who's coached. He coached. Mike Waffle coached the 08 uh, New York Giants line that harassed Tom Brady into losing that Super Bowl and keeping them undefeated. If there was an MVP trophy, it should have been given to, to him or to that defensive line, not to Eli Manning. I mean, not to take anything away from Eli, but. And then you look at what he did with the Rams, where the defensive line was really the only unit on that team that was worth talking about for a couple years. That's what they have in Mike Waffle. And so, I'm sorry, but my crush on line play, I'm huge on it. You know, I played it when I was young. I just i have a huge X's and O's guy, and it starts up front on both offense and defense. I always say when you're going to win a football game, you got to win in the trenches. Yeah, And so to hear everyone speak so glowingly about what Mike Waffle is bringing, no matter their age, no matter what position they play, to speak so glowingly about Mike Waffle just says to me that he was the right guy for the job and that I'm excited he's here. And I'm also excited about Eddie Yarbrough. I mean, he's a young player that I'm – he could become a true diamond in the rough for this football team. This is why – I'll tell you what, right now why I'm excited for Eddie Yarbrough. And his
2: his talent is not going to be used until the season is over. When we need somebody
1: to go recruit Josh Allen out of Josh Wyoming. All I can say, folks, is that all of my experiences this summer, from the sidelines of St. John Fisher to the press box and the 50-yard line of New Era Field, were amazing. And I'm just glad that I could make the most of it both for myself and for you guys, our listeners. And while we're on the subject of training camp, Every week, we do a segment called the AFC East Roundup. And during the offseason, we try to focus on each team in the division's training camp, and we check in with some of our specialists around the league, you know, other fans, other broadcasters, podcasters, writers.
2: Play them twice a year. we got to <laughs> know what's going on.
1: Just to see how things are going on their side of the fence. And this week, we've got our, we've got something special for you, a real treat. Our guy from the New England Patriots. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a
0: whole city of people saying most words wrong.
4: Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid.
1: On the air with us tonight, folks, we have Christian Simonelli. Christian, how are you doing tonight?
4: I'm, usually, I'm doing pretty well until I hit my intro and I can realize how bad I sound. How are you guys
2: doing? <laughs> We're living the dream. Living the dream over here.
4: So <laughs> Glad to hear it.
1: Enough about the nonsense going on with the Buffalo Bills. Let's talk about the New England Patriots. Now, after posting the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history and taking home yet another friggin' Lombardi trophy, the Patriots headed into this offseason with the most cap space available in the division. And along with their willingness to trade away draft capital to win now, they went out and just made a number of moves to make their team even better. I mean, what the hell? The rich just keep getting richer. I mean, who deserves it more than these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> For a team as talented as your New England Patriots already were, I mean, your list of acquisitions, it's its impressive. I mean, well, you yeah, because Brady is 40. Mm-hmm. They get this list of players. Well, I mean, here's what you got: you you have they traded for a third, a backup defensive end in Coney Ely, knowing that they were losing some of their defensive linemen in Chris Long and Jabal Sheard. Then they went out and traded for number one wide receiver Brandon Cooks from New Orleans, which was highway robbery, in my opinion. They obviously, as Bills fans know, signed our former top cornerback Stephon Gilmore to a massive contract with, I believe, almost $40 million in guaranteed money. Then they signed special teams ace Rex Burkhead, formerly of the, I believe, Cincinnati Bengals. They re-signed Donta Hightower, who has been one of my favorite linebackers both in college at Alabama and throughout throughout this early portion of his NFL career. And then you guys draft the defensive end and linebacker Derek Rivers, who I think was a steal where you got him. I, I mean, what do you think about all this? I mean, this is, un, this is unusual for the Patriots to go out and do this type of stuff,
4: right? Yeah. Uh, simple. Bill treated like uh, the offseason like they lost that Super Bowl. They were down 25 points. And that wasn't lost on them, despite the fact that they came back and, and won. Um, and the acquisitions... You know, clearly, clearly proved that they needed to get faster at the wide receiver position. They got Brandon Cooks. They needed to get better on the back end in the secondary. They got Stephon Gilmore. Um, so really, those their two biggest acquisitions. You know, those two guys. And then you know, the trades, like you said, for for Ely and Burkhead. And um, you know, he basically punted on the draft and it didn't take anybody until you know he took Rivers. Um, and then came back and took also took dietrich wise so mm-hmm. uh they needed help on the defensive line they got that i'm always kind of leery though of relying on rookies especially it, uh, in bill's defense mm-hmm. um the a defensive end position but um hey they got better at the skill positions they have a very deep wide receiver core now which is great they have a very deep running back core now which is great and you know they just upgraded where they need to upgrade where they needed upgrades really
2: do you feel that uh with brady being 40 that a lot of these moves were made let's just trade away our draft capital for the next year or two while we have
4: brady to get him that's so we can win another yeah i think that's part of it and i think the other part of it is that he's preparing belichick's preparing for life after brady um gilmore was a long-term long-term deal I don't think that you would have traded for for Brandon Cooks and given up a first round pick if you didn't think that you you know was going to work out here and that you were going to sign him to a long term deal. So uh, yeah, I agree that it's that it's you know definitely you know to maximize Brady's window. But as always, Bill is looking not just one one step ahead of of everything, but two or three steps ahead in now, some cases.
1: Now for all of these moves that got made, what would you say that fans in the New England area's favorite but, move of the
4: offseason has been? Um, Brandon Cooks, because he's come as advertised so far in training camp. He's just been uh, virtually, on some days, unstoppable. He just just blows by people, and whether it's uh, you know a nine route down the sideline, um, a slant across the middle taking it to the house, um, you know an out route making a guy miss and then just going the distance. He's really been spectacular.
1: Wow. Now, for all these signings and all these acquisitions that have made so many headlines. You guys also lost a number of players. <clears throat> I mean, we touched on it. There was a reason that you guys had to invest draft capital in the defensive line. That you had to go out and trade mm-hmm. for a Coney Ely. Now, Jabal Sheard and Chris Long were both NFL veterans, and that kinda you know, guys like Shay McClellan, you know, you Rob Ninkovich, those guys all contributed to making your defense what it was last season and really kind of propelling you guys down the stretch. And when you guys started making that comeback in that Super Bowl, it's because not only were the I mean, the Falcons were idiots. They just kept passing the ball. Yeah. But your defensive line did a good job of disrupting their passing game and helping to kind of stymie that while your offense kind of dug out of the hole. So I guess mm. out of all the players that were lost this offseason, which do you think will be the most felt by the Patriots in 2017?
4: Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a particular player, but I think, it's a, I think it's a particular position. You know, you just mentioned Long and Cheer Add the retirement of Nikovich to that list. Mm-hmm. That's three bodies. Those are three guys that gave you meaningful snaps, that you know were productive in spots for you last year. You know, Nikovic, obviously his production tailed off, and you know, you know, thus he retired this year. But again, going back to you know that position, you're going to be relying on a lot of young guys. Um, guy like Harvey Langey. Um, uh, Dietrich Wise, Derek Rivers. I mean, right now it been, sounds like
1: Trey Flowers is kind of the all of a sudden the elder statesman of
4: your pass rushing group. <laughs> he is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's I mean, not, this it, is a guy. Yeah, he's he's entering his third year, and he is. I mean, he's the elder statesman. Um, he's very young, which which is good. You know, you certainly want to be young, young. You know, you don't want to have a bunch of old guys running around out there. But mm-hmm. um, there's just no proven commodity at the, at those end positions yet, which is which is scary.
1: So then I guess, I mean, I guess if you were to say that there was a position of concern on your roster, that would probably be one of them, right? Defense Absolutely. Side. Now, if you had to pick one other, one other position on the entire roster that you look at the depth chart and you say, that concerns me, looking at who's there.
4: Yeah, linebacker after Hightower. I mean, it's a bunch of jags. And, and again, those unknowns, Kyle Van Noy, Shane McClellan. Uh, you bring in a guy like... Um, You know, David Harris from the Jets uh, signed him on a two year deal. Not sure what he's got left. Um, Mm -hmm. So far, he's looked okay. Although today he had a pretty rough camp against the Texans. I guess he got beat, you know, by running backs on a couple of different plays. But, you know, we haven't seen Hightower. He's been on pop. Hightower has yet to practice. So, uh, you know, the linebacker is definitely a concern.
1: Now, obviously, the quarterback position is the most stacked on your team, (laughs) given the fact that you have three quarterbacks on your roster. This is how ridiculous your situation is, and I kind of hate you guys for it. You, You guys have three quarterbacks on your roster right now who each won an NFL game last season. Mm-hmm. To, to me that's just complete horseshit it's not fair it's, it's absolutely not fair it's like, you, it's like when you're playing a video game against one of your buddies but he's cheating <laughs> he's cheating yeah. he just has this inherent advantage over you no matter what you do you're not going to catch him I, you, just being a Bills fan and knowing how thirsty we've been for good quarterback play mm-hmm. it's just maddening to me that you guys managed to pull that off but so outside of quarterback what do you think is the biggest source of strength for your roster this season
4: Well, just going back to the quarterbacks real quick, don't get too mad because Garoppolo and Brissett have uh, not looked good. I know Garoppolo looked pretty good in the preseason game, but he was playing against guys that probably aren't going to be in the NFL come September. So uh, for what it's worth, they haven't looked good at all. Conversely, Brady's looked like Brady. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as the biggest strength, you know, I really think it's the wide receiver group. Um, I think Cooks has, has lit it up and looked tremendous. Actually, the star of the camp, if you ask a lot of writers, has been Chris Hogan. He's been making eye-popping plays almost every day in camp. Um, He's had an unbelievable training camp this year. Uh, I don't know if that's a result of having Gronk on the field and Edelman and, 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 you know, Cooks and everybody being healthy, um, Malcolm Mitchell's also look pretty good. Gronk's look pretty good. So the wide receivers, I'd say, definitely the biggest source of strength this year.
2: Yeah, probably because you guys have three decent quarterbacks. <laughs> One that's kind of
1: really good. Christian, you, you know, yep. this is—I just want to tell you—whenever we talk, you're obviously a knowledgeable guy. You know, you've been a guest host on the PFW in Progress uh, show. You, you're a regular caller. Yep. You're well-spoken, and I like you. But then I talk to you, and we start to, and you start naming off all these patriots, and then you bring up Chris Hogan. It's like you're turning the Sorry. knife just a little bit. Turning, you Do you know that I'm finishing my second beer since, since we started, <laughs> Since I started talking to you. I've, I, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to maintain my composure over here. So, Sorry. No, but, but you touched on the wide receiver position, and that kind of, you know, I was reading. Obviously, I like to follow up on all of our divisional foes. Pat'sPulpit.com. I'm reading articles over there about the depth of the wide receiver position. Now, one of the realities of training camp is that you're going to go into camp with 90 guys, and you're just going to mm-hmm. see who the most talented bodies are. And it's kind of a combination of talent, you know, contract size. There's a lot of factors that play into who does and who doesn't make the final 53-man roster. Now, yep. a lot of times what you end up with is when you have a lot of established talent on a roster to a given position. You're talking about the wide receiver group. From what I hear, you guys have a lot of young guys who might have to be exposed to waivers that probably won't make it to your practice squad. I mean, are, are, who are some of the players on your team that you're concerned about not being able to stash away for future for future use? Uh,
4: well, you know, if you look at last week's preseason game and, and, and the practices before then, two guys jump out, um, Austin Carr mm-hmm. and Jacob Hollister, the tight end. Yep. So Carr being wide receiver, Hollister, the tight end. Uh, these guys look pretty good, but... You know, looking pretty good, uh, you know, on national TV like that, and then you know, being with the Patriots, hard to stash like 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 uh, you know those guys on a practice squad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there room for them? I do not see those guys making the 53-man roster. So the somebody out there and- who has a
1: weak depth chart at wide receiver or tight end could potentially be looking to add some of those guys. In Absolutely, the, in the yeah. Event that they can't make it. Who do yeah, you think um, – uh, I, guess, I guess one of my other roster bubble questions. So when you look at the roster, who is a guy from yours – I mean, Bills fans are familiar with this. Like last year, we had Manny Lawson. Manny Lawson, was a, he was an established veteran. He'd done a lot mm-hmm. of nice things for us in his couple seasons here. But Lorenzo Alexander came in and basically made him expendable. He was a surprise cut. If you mm-hmm. had to name a surprise cut that you think people should probably prepare themselves for, or Patriots fans are kind of
4: bracing for, who would it be? To be honest with you, um, Cyrus Jones at the cornerback position. That kid has looked awful. There's, there's just simply no other way to say it. He can't cover anybody. He can now. He can actually catch punts and kickoffs. The problem is. <laughs> He can't return them. He, he, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't run. He, like, stutter steps. And it's just a confidence thing with him, I think, more than anything. And it's something that we know the athletic ability is there. based on his play at Alabama. But he just has not taken to the NFL level at all. And I just think it's a mental thing with him. When so. you guys
1: took him in the second round, my stomach dropped. I just remember yeah. thinking, here's another Alabama player that's been drafted, that I've been rooting for for years, that now I'm going to have to hate his guts because he's going to put on a Patriots jersey, just like Donta Hightower. But yeah. at the same time, Jones, for whatever reason, the talent, all of the things that he did well in college, it seems like it's almost like he forgot them when he got to the NFL level. It's it's crazy to see that.
4: Yeah, it really is. He's he's a shadow of himself, really. and you know the third cornerback spot on this team is up for grabs i mean you got you know a guy like justin coleman jonathan jones uh, eric rowe who's you know played really good towards the mm-hmm. end of last year i'm not a big fan of him kind of got into a trigger trigger argument with a bunch of people a couple of months ago about him <laughs> saying that he sucked and when i said that he sucked Eric Rowe actually liked my tweet that said that he sucked so i thought that was kind of funny that's fine um but um i just i think that you know, I just think that there's a spot a spot for him there, and he's just not taking advantage of it, and he just is not played well at all. And it's never a good sign when you have a guy playing a second-round pick, playing deep into the third and fourth quarter like he was last week and getting burned, just oh. getting absolutely smoked by, oh, like, wow. third and fourth stringers in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, that's so not he,
4: good. Yeah, he got beat for a 90-yard touchdown pass, and then he gave up a 97-yard touchdown pass, and then he gave up like a 32-yard touchdown pass. Oh, my God. Just awful, awful play. So to say that
1: the offseason hasn't been kind to Cyrus Jones would be an understatement. Correct. Wow. Now, I could sit here and ask you where you think you guys will finish in the division, but I think we all know that you assholes will find some way to massacre Every single one of us at one point in time or another. I mean, you're just gonna. I, I've, I've made my peace with sure. it at this point. I used to hate Tom Brady with an unholy passion. Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm done. The fight's gone out of me. I just want him to go away. Just, just, <laughs> it, it's like, I, I almost imagine what it's like being mauled by a bear. You know, eventually, if you just lay there and play dead for long enough, it has to go away, right? It has to go away and find <laughs> something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of asking you where I think you're going to finish in the division, I've got some other predictions that I want to ask you for. First, mm-hmm. what opponents on your schedule this year you think represent a real challenge to the Patriots? I mean, is it are there tough games on your schedule? Whether it be because of the location, what the weather might be that time of year there. Right. You know, that what what are you guys? What are you looking at? as, this is a must-watch game? A game I'm going to be on pins and needles for.
4: Um. You know they have a stretch after their bye week where they're at Denver and then they're in Mexico City to play the Raiders. Oh, and that's that's a pretty good stretch because um, they always struggle at Denver. I mean that's just historically mm-hmm. even the Super Bowl teams have always struggled there. Whether mm-hmm. they win they lose but they've always struggled. It's never been they've never gone in there and, and won easily except the year Tebow was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but – and then – so you got to play Denver on the road against that defense, and then you got to go on the road again to Mexico City at, you know, uh, at Mexico City to play the Raiders who looked really good last year up until Carr got hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that's – you know, that that's that, that two-game stretch is going to be tough, but there's also a couple of games before that where they play – before the bye where they play the Falcons, and then they got to go on the road. I know the Chargers are supposed to suck, but – um, again, they're on the road, so that's a cross-country trip. So there's like a four-game stretch here in the middle where mm-hmm. I think that um, you know could be could definitely be challenging. And out of their um, out of their eight games, uh, the, their final eight games of the year, five of them are on the road. So mm-hmm. I mean, they're at the Bills, they're at the Dolphins, and they're at the Steelers in consecutive weeks 13, 14, or 15. Oh wow! What's so, what's
2: been Belichick's uh, schedule arrangements when you have something like that where you you're at Denver, and then the following week you're at Mexico City. Do you expect him to yep. come back to New England, or would you go right from Denver to Mexico City and get used to whatever field that you're playing?
4: History would say that he'll go right from Denver to Mexico City. Um, he actually did that a couple of years ago when they had back to back West Coast trips. Um, he just stayed out there. Uh, I think it was actually, maybe uh, it was more than a couple of years ago, but they had back to back games against, I think it was the Seahawks and then. Um, the Raiders, and they, and, they, and they stayed out there for two weeks. So, yeah, that's a real possibility. probably will do that.
1: So, <clears throat> speaking of Belichick, my next question, your prediction. How many press conferences do you foresee Bill Belichick having to repeat to the media that he doesn't care what they think or what they want to know?
4: <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, he has at least two a week. So, the 17 <laughs> weeks... Uh, you know, if you want to include preseason and everything. So the overall I put the are probably like at about 35.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, he reminds me of Greg Popovich in the sense that he has no, he has no patience or willingness to open up to the media. He doesn't care. He, I almost feel like he has a lot of disdain for them because he just he views them as a distraction, which they, they, they kind of are.
4: They kind of are, and they're very similar. Him and Popovich, um, you know, even to local media. I mean, you know, a guy like Mike Reese that that has been ranked for the past few years. Um, you know, like when he stabs at him, I feel so bad for Mike Reese, but it's like, I mean, come on, Bill, it's Mike Reese, and he's just, you know, you know, just just cut, cut him off or, you know, give him, oh, well, you're the expert, you tell me type of response to a question. And uh, so it's just he's tough, man. And I got to be honest with you, it only. We only laugh at it as fans because they win.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh no. If, he, if your team lost and he acted oh, like it, that, he'd be drummed out of town. I mean, uh,
4: he'd be, yeah. here he'd in be Buffalo, hated. they
1: ate Doug Marone alive because they said he was he wasn't he wasn't easy to interview. Well, when, yeah. when you're a football team that gets beat a lot, it's hard to be a good interview. I feel like I feel like if you were to come stick a microphone in my face about 20 minutes to 30 minutes after the Bills lose a game, Chris tried that once. Chris read that once, and that montage about me talking about E.J. Emanuel will live live in
4: infamy. Infamy, oh yeah.
1: (laughs) So, moving on. How many times do you think Bills fans can look forward to watching Brady do his trademark pouting slouch before Week 17? (laughs) How
4: many times? How many times? Well, I think the team's going to be pretty good, so I'm going to put the over under there at about maybe like five.
2: Okay. Ooh, I thought you were going to go 35.
4: 35? No, 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 no. No way.
1: Oh. How many losses will it take before Pats fans start speculating about the futures of Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo?
4: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, it, first, well, around here, they don't lose consecutive games. So I think if they lost consecutive games, back-to-back games, uh, like two or three games in a row, which I don't see happening, but – if they do, you, you, you'll, you'll hear the talk pretty quick. Um, and it was not not too long ago in 2014 when they were two and two, and that question got brought up, and uh, you know Belichick just gave a you know Belichick response, who just rolled his eyes and just scoffed, and you know then they went out and blew doors off Cincinnati, and never looked back.
1: Um, the, the famous we're on to Cincinnati after you oh, guys yeah. went. Into, you guys, I'll, I'll never forget that because you went into Arrowhead and just got eaten alive by that defense, and then. Yep. Garoppolo came in and threw his first career touchdown. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Don't tell me this is happening. I was like, In my mind, that was going to be the year that Tom Brady got put on the back burner a la Drew Bledsoe. And this new kid had stepped in, and he just understands football. He's going to be great. It's, you guys are just going to keep on rolling for another decade. How many
2: How many other <laughs> oh, fans yeah. get to, like get away with saying something, what you just said? Well, I think if we lose back to back games. Oh, dude! Do you understand
1: when you said that? I took a big, I took a big pull out of my beer. Big swig. <laughs> oh well, you yeah. know we don't really lose back to back games. What is that like? What's that? What is that life like? You jerk. It's well,
4: <laughs> a, a pretty good life. I mean, I would. <laughs> hey, you know that's it is what it is. They're the rock stars and. uh Yeah, I I remember
2: I remember that happening when I was six and I didn't know what it meant.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? I was too young to really appreciate it for what it is. Sure. Uh, And then finally, what do you think the Pats final record will be? I mean, you've analyzed the schedule, obviously you know everything they have coming up on the docket. What what do you peg them for if you had to look at the full seventeen game season. Well, seventeen week season.
4: Uh, worst case scenario is 13 and 3, and that's it. Yeah, yeah I mean, it just, I, I'm sorry, but it's 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 basically been like it has really been for much of the Brady Belichick era. Ho hum. 12 and 4, 13 and 3, 14 and 2. We expect to be in the AFC Championship game. Most likely, we expect to be hosting it. And uh, talk to me after that game. I mean, that, that the, the the regular season around here, for the most part, is a formality. We know what they're gonna be. We know that sorry, but we know the division sucks. And so there's six games right there where you feel like you're gonna go five and one at worst. And then the rest of the games, everybody else is mediocre. I mentioned that stretch with the Broncos and the Raiders who were legit. You got the Steelers on the roster too. I'm sorry. But until they change that head coach this is going to make a difference when they play the Patriots. He just destroys them every chance. Pelicic just absolutely, and Brady just absolutely. Brady's never thrown a pick against the Steelers. <laughs> He's like 17 touchdowns with zero interceptions. He's never thrown a pick,
2: ever. And the Steelers' moniker, their whole franchise existence, has been their defense.
4: <laughs> yeah, and he God. shreds
2: them.
1: It's like playing, you know. this is pitch and catch. It's pitch and back catch. That's football. all it is. It's crazy. Uh, but Chris,
4: Christian, we sorry, love... Sorry, I don't know. I wish I could say 8-8 eight eight or 10-6 and, and give a hope, <laughs> but I just, you hope. Know.
1: Christian, we love talking to you, but you make me sick.
4: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, love- I love you guys, too. Uh, I feel- I'm sorry I make you sick. <laughs> I
1: love you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show with us tonight.
4: Hey, where are you on Twitter? Thanks for having me, at Chris with the T I A N. Guys, give him a follow. You'll get you all of the
1: Patriots nonsense that you can handle.
2: Simonelli is a dude that I just... L- I hate him, but I like him because he knows his football.
1: He likes the Patriots.
2: I know That's why I hate him, but he also likes his football.
1: I've got members of my family that like the Patriots, and i got to tell you, it I, I think I love them a little bit less just knowing they're Patriots fandom. I, I just can't help myself. Uh, so there you hear it. You heard it straight from the horse's mouth, folks. The, Patriots, the horse's ass. <laughs> Patriots fans think they're going to be amazing. It, it, yada yada yada. I mean, what else have we known for? We over don't a lose two in a row. We don't lose two in a row. Good lord. <laughs> that being said, tomorrow night, the Bills kind of get a chance to show their stuff here. Preseason game number two on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles.
2: Ronald Darby and the Philadelphia. Eagles <laughs> Ronald
1: Darby and the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to be interested to see where Ronald Darby plays. If he, I mean, we traded for EJ Gaines, and he's been spent most of his time with the third string and second string, really trying to get his hands around the nuances of this defense and just kind of get, trying to gel with the players around him. So I don't expect him to see a ton of time for us, and I don't expect to see Darby get a ton of playing time with the Eagles. I just don't. I think that they'll maybe roll him out there a little bit just to get him comfortable. But outside of that, I don't expect to see a lot of him. There are, however, three things, just like last week, that I'm going to be watching for. Here's what they are. Trey Elston. Who? Yeah, right. Free safety. Last week, the player I had an eye on was Eddie Yarbrough, and he didn't disappoint. Hopefully that trend continues. I, I made a note in my most recent training camp write-up that I saw Trey Elston getting more attention from Danny Crossman just trying to work over special teams techniques, how to mirror gunners properly, you know, where, where your gaps are as far as taking on block, you know, taking on guys who are trying to get downfield and get to your, your returner. I think that's a sign. I mean, you, if you're the coach and you don't think that that guy has a future with the team, you're not going to spend time in the middle of a very limited training camp practice schedule to try to train this kid up on these things. Given that, I think that that's a sign that he could be in line for more, not only more playing time, but also maybe even a possible roster spot. I mean, the kid played... Well, if, you, if you're saying that Crossman's given him
2: some pointers, that maybe that's where he makes the team, is he's somebody
1: on special teams. Well, and I think he's a depth option at safety. I mean, he played a lot in, the, in last week's game, and I was big on him, big on him. I mean, he he led the team in tackles, with six tackles. He played, he had two or three plays on the ball in the air where he surprised me that he could play, that his sense of timing was that good. So I'm interested to see if you know as he gets more of an extended look here as training camp, go, I mean not training camp, as the preseason rolls on, maybe he can carve out a niche for himself. I mean, we all talked about how safety was kind of a a position of need on this team. We really needed guys to step up because outside of Poyer and Hyde, we really don't know who our starters or who our depth options are. Bakari Rambo is out with a hamstring injury. We have no idea how long that could could linger. Having a guy like Elston step up could be huge for this team. One of the other things I'm going to be watching is offensive tackle play. The Bills' offensive line has been thoroughly disappointing thus far in pass protection. And it would be... (sighs) and to say that they've struggled is a gross egregious understatement. Are you talking about the starters or the backups? The starters. Henderson and Mills have been atrocious playing tackle this far in in training camp. Just, they, they get beat like a drum. I watched on multiple occasions where Jerry Hughes just beat the pants off Henderson and he had to hold just to keep what I mean from, keep Jerry Hughes from getting home to what would be a sack. You're not going to be able to do that in live-action football. That's a question of our depth on the O-line and what is Cordy Glenn's injury. Well, and that's the problem is that you look at – Henderson has a five-game suspension still to fulfill. Okay, Dawkins, Mills, and Glenn pretty much are our only really viable tackle options.
5: And right Groy? now,
1: Glenn is up Groy is an interior lineman all day. He can't shift outside.
2: Okay, because I know he does guard and center. I don't know if he could also do no. that too.
1: Like no. a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> so essentially, these these next few games, and it's going to start here this week, I'm going to really be focusing on those tackles to see, hey, can one of these guys, whether it's Dawkins, whether it's Anderson, whether it's can Mills figure his stuff out, One, some of them have to step up and start playing NFL caliber tackle. Because if they can't, It's it's going to be a long season. And that leads directly into the third thing that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, which is offensive production. Just point blank period, offensive production. I mean, one of the things that I noticed in training camp and then in talking to guys like Christian Simonelli and in talking to guys around the league who cover different teams, the Bills simply haven't been finding the end zone, even in practice, with any sort of consistency outside of the running game. I mean, most of their 11-11 drills end neither rushing touchdowns, turnovers, or field goals. There's no passing touchdowns to speak of. And in the NFL, with the way it's structured now, you simply can't win football games like that. A lot of this, I think, I'm not blaming Tyrod for this. I'm blaming the state of our offensive line. They're going to have to prove that it can hold up for entire drives with good pass protection. And then you've got the wide receiver core. Even without Sammy Watkins, our quarterbacks are going to need to prove that they can find a way to move the ball efficiently and generate points. If you want to install any confidence in this guy over here that this season is going to have any kind of promise. I mean, if you can't score points, you can't win football games. It's like trying to win a game of slow-pitch softball by scoring five runs. Your defenses can be good, but it's not going to be that good.
2: Yeah, and then when you don't win football games, you get a high draft pick and you get a quarterback In the draft. That's how it works. That's what we're set up for.
1: Get out of here, guys. We're gonna get out of here. Thanks so much for coming by, listening to our show. Next week, we're gonna wrap up our training camp edition of the AFC's Roundup by hosting Dolphins writer and podcaster Travis Wingfield. We're gonna talk about the injury parade that has been Miami's preseason and kind of pick his brain about what he thinks about Jay Cutler. We'll also have highlights of camp, what we learned about the roster at the halfway point of the preseason. And there's a ton more ground to cover here, so make sure you come on back and listen to the next episode. If you guys out there are interested in hearing the full versions of any of my camp interviews, you're going to want to head over to GrandstandsportsNetwork.com, and I tell you to follow them on Twitter. I'm going to be releasing all of my clips, you know, condensed, cleaned up, so that they sound nice, so that they're easy and concise to listen to, and they can be streamed right from the website. So, like I said, GrandstandsportsNetwork.com, and at GrandstandsportsNetwork.com at Grandstand underscore SN on Twitter. Chris, let's get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality